It's a pandemic coming up on two years. But yet people continue to, you know, question and challenge and, you know, uh, if it were pneumonia or cancer or stroke, they would listen to you and, you know, would gladly accept your advice and your service. But when it comes to this in all facets, it's just remarkable. They don't believe a thing you say. I mean, it's just uh, nothing I've ever seen before. COVID-19 has killed hundreds of thousands, infected millions, and has spread like wildfire around the world, right along with misinformation on how to stay safe and how to fight back. The provider fatigue is, is real. We, we've been working at this since winter of 2020. That's a long time to continue on and on and on recognizing that perhaps this could have been prevented. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story. My heart goes out to those folks because I think they realize they made a mistake. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases ends up being a fatal mistake. But here we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to greater Cincinnati. Every day, I, it was a different challenge, running out of PPE, having to reuse PPE, having to go buy our own PPE off of Amazon for fear of not having an N95 mask, or I've had to use it for a week. I'm Stephen Albritton, and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. Today on the pod, four frontline workers sit down with WLWT. Dr. Thomas LaMare, an infectious disease specialist at Christ Hospital. Dr. Suzanne Bennett, the director of the cardiovascular ICU at UC Medical Center. Bill Hawk, an RN and a nurse manager in the emergency department at Good Samaritan Hospital. And Dr. Daniel Murphy, who is the medical director of pulmonary and critical care at Mercy Health. They sit down with our own Jatera McGee to discuss how COVID-19 has impacted them, their teams, and their families, how they deal with misinformation, and what they feel needs to happen moving forward. Here's Jatera McGee. Are there certain conversations with patients that you've had or certain patients' faces that you just can't get out of your mind? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I can't go into too much specifics because yeah. of HIPAA, but, um, you know, the the patients who, you know, say, gosh, I wish I'd gotten vaccinated, you know, and a lot of, I've kind of stopped asking why they haven't gotten vaccinated. Because um, I've had some people who've said, you know, we get asked all the time, you know, are you vaccinated? And they think that maybe we're not going to give them as good a care if they're not vaccinated, which is simply not true. Um, and most of the patients, uh, this is something I struggled with. I don't know what you guys experienced. But when we've had this most recent surge, which is from Delta, it's like a lot of this could have been prevented. Um, and so it, it's frustrating that people haven't gotten vaccinated. Um, it, it doesn't give you an invisible force field that keeps you from getting COVID, but it makes the odds a lot more likely that you're gonna survive mm -hmm. or maybe not go into the hospital. Um, and so when I ask people why they aren't vaccinated, a lot of them said, well, I heard that people were dying from the vaccine. And I know looking at the literature that that's all social media BS. Um, that's just not happening. And, but it, when I was going through that part of those conversations, I would get a little angry on the inside and have to try to check it. And then I thought about it and what they're telling me. And I was like, you know, it is really hard to make good decisions with bad information. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what people are having to deal with. And if they're not medical, they don't know. Um, and even some people who are medical are, are believing things that's not true. Um, and so, you know, my heart goes out to those folks because I think they realize they made a mistake. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases ends up being a fatal mistake or at least gives them a long-term disability. So that, that part's yeah. tough and, and so my heart goes out to them. Yeah, I can see how that would definitely be one of the hardest parts of this latest surge 
for all of you, what has been the most difficult part um, of seeing the Delta variant in your hospitals? Bill, we can start with you. The most difficult part is hearing day in and day out that uh, we'll have 99% of the patients that are up in the ICU and on ventilators uh, that are unvaccinated, um, knowing that this all could have been prevented. Um, and I agree that I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, not only just in the community, but, but amongst healthcare workers and uh, just the fear of the unknown. And I try to explain to my team members, I was like, we've had this fear of the unknown from last spring. Mm -hmm. And you know, every day, I, it was a different challenge, running out of PPE, having to reuse PPE, having to go buy our own PPE off of Amazon for fear of not having an N95 mask, where I've had to use it for a week. And then all of a sudden those supplies came back and I always laugh, I said, the fear of not finding toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, when do, boy, what's all this? Um, so, but that, that, that's the hard part day in and day out is it, you just don't stop thinking about it, at least I can. I think about what's going to happen next. What is the next uh, layer or uh, uh, block to fall mm -hmm. in this horrible pandemic? And what can we do to try to make things better? Mm -hmm. And I think really getting the word out to the community that, you know, the vaccines are here. It's a tool that we have to fight this disease. And uh, we have our doctors that are willing to talk to anybody and give them the information because we want to get them vaccinated. We're actually, I'm giving vaccines in the ER when the patients come in just because we want to make sure that people have every opportunity. So that's, it's, it's tough. We're getting through it. <laughs> Dr. Bennett, for you, what has been the most difficult part of the Delta variant surge? With the Delta variant surge, the hardest part for me uh, is recognizing that I'm unable to meet the needs of our community mm -hmm. uh, to give them a therapy that I believe does make a difference in their outcome, but I don't have the resources to be able to do it. Uh, it's heartbreaking, actually, to take them off the list, to take a 23-year-old off, it's, and, and it really happened, a 23 off the list because they died at another hospital waiting to get uh, that resource. Couple that with the morale of, my, of the team, um, walking each, in each day to try to build my team up because they're suffering as well. Uh, the provider fatigue is, is real. We, we've been working at this since winter of 2020. That's a long time to continue on and on and on, recognizing that perhaps this could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not vaccines alone, but vaccines is a, is a large part of what could minimize the, the entry of these patients into the hospital and mm -hmm. certainly their death. Um, but we have to do vaccines. We continue need to need to do the distancing and the masks. All of that together is what's really going to bring us out of this and um, keeping my team hopeful for a future and um, providing the support to the family members who can't be with their loved ones. I'm going to ask you a simple but perhaps loaded question. How are you? How am I? I, I have very excellent coping skills. Um, I spend my day, uh, I do meditation. I uh, ride a spin bike, all of which are healthy coping mechanisms and has allowed me to get through this. I spend time with my children and my friends when I can. Uh, I, I think when our ability to get out of the house, that was probably the harder times for many of us. And especially, I mean, me, myself included, um, 
Do I go home some days and maybe cry in the car on my way home? Certainly, certainly, mm -hmm. if it's been a hard day. Dr. Lamar, how are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think she's, uh, I think everything she said echoes true with all of us. I think um, it's just relentless. Mm -hmm. And I think the erosion of trust in the community and the things that we offer them has been really um, difficult to deal with when you recommend vaccination or masking or social mitigation policies or when you're talking about people giving them antiviral or any inflammatory therapies or talking to them about being on the ventilator and they don't trust you and they don't believe you and their families call and yell at you that you're giving them something uh, that's going to hurt them or then they demand that you give them ivermectin or some other unapproved medication it becomes uh, very difficult when it happens on a regular basis and people are angry um, and a lot of it, they take it out on the nurses and the staff at the hospitals. Um, and it's difficult because it's just a daily fight uh, every, every single day um, with the lack of trust and, and the fear. Um, and, you know, it's, you get tired. <laughs> We've been doing this a long time. I mean, it's just, um, you know, it, it, I think all of us have, um, are surrounded by lots of supportive people and families and all of us are at institutions that are really dedicated to care for people uh, you know um, to the utmost uh, but yet people continue to you know question and challenge and you know uh, if it were pneumonia or cancer or stroke they would listen to you and you know would gladly accept your advice and your service but when it comes to this in all facets it's just remarkable they don't believe a thing you say I mean it's just uh, nothing I've ever seen before do you fear that that continues when the pandemic is over? Oh, I, I think we live in an age of disinformation and belief-based reality. And I think things will never be the same, at least for a, a period of time. Mm -hmm. I think it's really unfortunate. It's changed the way um, people interact with each other, the way people interpret news and uh, beliefs. And certainly we see it impact the way um, we care for patients and the way patients interact with us. Mm -hmm. I think Bill was the first to mention that uh, it's difficult hearing so many people who are um, having these negative outcomes are unvaccinated when they're, especially when there are people that you work beside, that you care about, that you know are good medical professionals who haven't been either. And that's been a lot of the controversy um, in this last few months. I was talking to a family member a few days ago um, who's debating being vaccinated and said, well, there's a lot of healthcare workers who aren't getting it. So if they're not getting it, they must know something that I don't. What would you all say to that? We have some medicines that can kind of stack the odds, but you know we can't load the deck completely. COVID holds most of the cards. Um, and truthfully, I think the most effective treatment we have to keep people alive who've got COVID pneumonia is oxygen. Um, and I remember early on in the pandemic, wondering what it was like you know, with the Spanish flu or swine flu, whatever they called it back in the early 1900s. Um, they didn't invent supplemental oxygen until the 20s, um, late 20s. So all these folks who were getting sick, they couldn't go on oxygen. I mean, we've had over 700,000 deaths in America from COVID alone. It would be, I don't know, five times worse, right. maybe more, yeah. if we didn't have supplemental oxygen. And we're using flows of oxygen on patients that didn't exist when I was in training. You know, Vapotherm, Optiflow, that stuff wasn't around yeah. 15 years ago, or I guess, how long has it been? Since <laughs> been 16 years ago since I graduated from medical school. So, you know, it, it's, we have a lot that can support people and keep them alive. Mm -hmm. um, but once the process starts, it's, there's not a ton we can do. So 
it feels a little hopeless and you just kind of hope mm -hmm. that the patients that you're taking care of, that this one's gonna have a good outcome and not progress. Um, but it, by the time they end up in the hospital, a lot of the treatments that we have to offer, um, you know, the, the things like the monoclonal antibodies, um, remdesivir, the antivirals, a lot of times it's already too late for it to have much effect. I don't know if you agree with that. No, you know, it's, it's true, it's really unfortunate. What we can do now versus what we could do 18 months ago, there's not a huge, huge amount of technological advances. Um, and I, I would totally agree when you're caring for these patients, you know, we see them from when they present to the hospital, through the ICU and hopefully thereafter. You, there's no sense of control or mastery with these patients. It's unpredictable mm -hmm. um, and it's not a great feeling. <laughs> You know, there's many disease entities where we can have, we have a feel of uh, the disease course, the presentation, the prognosis. Um, with COVID-19, it is unpredictable. I mean, there's lots of things that suggest which way a patient is gonna go, but how patients do despite everybody's best efforts, despite using all the tools that we have, um, it's a completely different entity. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, patients come in and they wanna know how they're gonna do. I'm like, well, t I, you know, my classic line is let's just take it one day at a time mm -hmm. because I can't give them the answer that they want me to tell them and I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I heard a healthcare worker say a few weeks ago, if people could just see, if the general public could see what I see on a daily basis, they would take everything, every step that they could to avoid getting to this point. What is it that you all wish that you could show the public that they could see through, through your eyes for one day? Dr. Bennett? I would love for them to see uh, the family members who sit outside the room sobbing, where they can't get into the room to see their loved one who's dying. Um, I would love for them to see right when they're so air hungry and the next step is putting them on the ventilator and look in their eyes and the words that uh, I, I also put the breathing tube in and put them on a ventilator and the words that I say to them as I have them go off to sleep and I know that they may never wake again. And um, if family members and the public would be able to just see the panic and regret in those patients' eyes at that moment, I think it would have an impact on the community that has the doubts, the lack of trust, and the misinformation would be irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, I know family members of mine who had any question about getting the vaccine in the past, where they made that pivotal decision to get the vaccine was no words that I could say. No words I said made a difference. It was they lost a friend close to them to COVID who was otherwise healthy, mm -hmm. a picture of health the week before. That has to be frustrating, be, having as much experience as you have, and I'm sure pleading with family members, telling them everything that you can, everything that you're seeing, and nothing got through except them unfortunately losing someone. It is. It, it is a, it has been a significant struggle in my life with not just family, but for any friends that had any doubt about um, the information, as they've all described, the misinformation is, insurmountable it, and, and I feel bad that the public is being given all this information they don't know where to go 
I think they're victims just as much as uh, the, uh, someone in a motor vehicle accident. And they're victims of all this misinformation and knowing who to trust. Um, but as, as Dr. Lamar had said, if this were someone who had a stroke, who has heart disease, they, they would take our advice yeah. and they would listen to what we say and our recommendations and not doubt it. But what do you see that you wish you could show everyone at home? Again, I'd, I'd have to say the same. It's like uh, seeing all the patients that are coming through and when they're alone and the last thing that they see before we put them on a vent is us in our PPE or our N95, our goggles, or our helmets and our shields. Um, it's, it's a feeling of isolation for them, the fear in their eyes. Um, but again, flip it around. You've got the providers that are innovating these patients and they're putting themselves at high risk mm -hmm. to get COVID. I've known quite a few uh, physicians and respiratory therapists that were innovating before we had the vaccine mm -hmm. and got really sick. And, and they're a lot younger, so they bounce back, but then they're scared. Yeah. So we ha we've been trying from day one to, you know, protect the healthcare worker as well as, as the community, as we're trying to fight this. But uh, to see the fear in people that uh, don't understand or have had the misinformation, you know, see them alone um, as we're innovating them. And then, you know, w whether transferring. Last last year, I was at a freestanding emergency department, uh, 14 bed uh, up in uh, Lebanon. And I had to take a patient down to uh, another facility and we couldn't keep him on the vent. And I had to handbag him all the way down to Jewish because the transport team didn't feel comfortable going. I can't keep him there. We don't have the resources. We need to get to a higher level of care. And it, it's scary because I know he was, he was COVID positive and it's not gonna be allowed to have any family member. I told his wife, I kind of broke the rules and said, go around to the squad entrance. You can see him before we leave. That's the last time she saw him. So it's things like that. We have to look out for those patients that, uh, That'll make the lasting impact because at least maybe the family has a little bit of closure. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very depressing that uh, we've been dealing with this for 20 months and we're still fighting. When you know the hoops that you all are climbing through on a daily basis and um, not only are you working long hours and doing everything that you can to, to keep these patients alive, you're going home and getting on Facebook or on social media and seeing um, the misinformation for one, but also the people saying these healthcare workers don't care. They're just part of the problem. They are, um, you know, pushing this agenda or whatever it may be. How frustrating is that? That's why I don't get on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, have, I don't wow. do any social media. <laughs> You used to get on TikTok, but then all the videos started turning over to about anti-vax and this and that, and so I don't even get on there anymore. Um, honestly, I try not, it, no offense, but I don't try to watch the news. Mm -hmm. Last year, there were, every day the press conferences, the, the meetings at work, I told my boss, I said, I'm getting really depressed. I said, I'm tired of hearing about COVID. I'm tired of hearing about the gloom and doom. I was like, I'm a very positive, upbeat person. I said, this is beating my soul down. So that's how I like had to manage for so long. Um, and I'm sure we all found ways to cope and to manage just to get through. And then again, in June, we were celebrating going, oh, this is where we're COVID free. We don't have any patients in the hospital, this and that. And then all of a sudden, four weeks later, it's the surge is here. And so again, I think I think I said this before, I'm very excited about 
seeing the collaboration between all the facilities in the area, because I think you all can agree that we wouldn't have had this before COVID. No. Uh, the communication between the facilities, because, you know, again, hospitals are hospitals and they're there, you know, their business. <laughs> um, but again, we're sharing information across the city, uh, yeah, you know, across the region. Um, that we would never do before. Mm -hmm. And that's what excites me, is that uh, we're getting that part out of it and bringing our healthcare workers together. When you were talking about the, the toll that this has taken on you, how did you pull yourself out of that, or did you? Um, I did. I, like I said, I had to tune out the social media. I had to tune out, you know, all the negativity. I had to, you know, think positive. And again, I use humor, you know, uh, with my team to lighten the mood. I tell them all the time, I want you to have a great day. I want you to joke and have fun because if you don't like your job and you don't love coming to work, you're not going to come to work. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of gotten my team jazzed up and excited because, you know, we pray jank, uh, jokes on each other and pranks yeah. and things like that. And you know what? You know, as a team, that's what you do. There's a time and a place for it, but you know, when we're away from patients, we have to take care of our mental health as well. Yeah. And uh, we, I can't tell you, like when this all started, how many of my team members lost their grandparents or parents? It was like a funeral every week. And uh, that hurt. I mean, um, just knowing that the pain that they were going through, and then they're coming back scared because they're, they don't want to get it and take it home to their family. Um, and so again, everybody I think has got their own ways that they've dealt with it. Um, and again, I love the fact that you're, you know, doing yoga and, and look, taking care of yourself. And, you know, as healthcare workers, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, when we work our 12, 14 hour days, at the end of the day, we have to look out and take care of ourselves. You had mentioned the social media and the impact it has on healthcare workers that have chosen to do all the measures to minimize the spread of the disease and the severity of the disease. Um, I think the, the age group of healthcare workers most vulnerable are the ones that have grown up with social media and it's part of their daily life um, and they can't easily give it up. I did not grow up with social media so not looking at it is easy. It's an easy removal from my life. However, those 20 and 30 year olds who are new in healthcare, who have entered a reality they did not sign up for and now are getting inundated with social media uh, criticism by even people they know, is part of the burnout and the leaving of healthcare to go do other things. Um, the, I mean, imagine being 20 months ago, the clapping in New York, right? Mm -hmm. They came out, people walked out of the hospital and they would yeah. clap at the end of the shift. And all of the heroes and the baskets and the food, all the food being delivered oh. to the different <laughs> places and how the public really cheered us. None of us want to be called heroes. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm, I think we can all agree we did not do this to be a hero, mm -hmm. but we did not get in this to be criticized, condemned, yeah. and, and unjust, unjustly uh, criticized for providing inappropriate care mm -hmm. to patients. And that younger generation is, is what will be most impacted by the social media uh, words. Hmm. I think Bill got in for the food, potentially, based on how he responded to <laughs> oh, that. <yeah. laughs> Gotta get burned out on pizza, but you know, <laughs> it's free. <laughs> Change the menu. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> what is it? I know that things are extremely difficult right now, but what is it that's giving you all hope, that's keeping you going from day to day, Dr. Murphy? Well, um, one of the things I've sort of told myself the silver lining of the Delta variant is between the vaccines and the variant that may end up vaccinating us, so to speak, um, if that makes any sense, because mm. it's so much more infectious. I mean, I don't want anybody to die, but if you're not going to get vaccinated, the odds are you're going to get the virus. Um, and while that, I had a patient the other day tell me that she now had full immunity because she'd been, she'd had the virus and she'd done her research. I was like, yeah, that's not true, <laughs> but it's probably still better than nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, I don't know, kind of like Suzanne, I'm trying to exercise more. It's stress relief. It's the one thing that actually feels awake. Mm -hmm. uh, two cups of coffee doesn't seem to quite do it anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, I, I would have had a really hard time getting through this if not for my wife. Mm -hmm. um, she's a physician too, but she has stopped working because I've been so busy. Uh, it's hard to get childcare. He didn't know how much the kids were going to be in school. Mm -hmm. So she's gone from, you know, being the smarter Murphy to the stay-at-home mom Murphy. Um, and my kids are pretty resilient, um, and they keep me grounded because they don't listen to me either. Hey, Dan, uh, she's still probably the smarter Murphy. <laughs> you know what? You are correct. Thank you for correcting me. She will always be the smarter Murphy, so, and the better looking. So, uh, yeah, but it, but my family helps keep me going. Bill, what about you? I'd have to say uh, nursing has been a passion of mine, and it's uh, it fulfills my soul to really help people, uh, to be able to share my knowledge with my new team members, really build them up. And uh, they are right now, they're, they're my rock. They're my uh, solid. So like, it doesn't matter how short we are. They do whatever they can to try to protect me from having to come in. Uh, the, uh, normally I work Monday through Friday, but it's been working like weekends now. And they, uh, they'll do whatever. And uh, just to make sure that I don't burn out, just mm -hmm. as they're getting tired and burned out, we look out for each other. Mm -hmm. And same with our physician group. You know, we all look out for each other. You know, we laugh about the food or whatever. When they're having a bad day, my key goal is to make sure that they get a break. Mm -hmm. Everybody deserves a break. And so if I've got to go buy pizza for the department or salads and whatever, mm -hmm. that is my goal is to they at least get to eat and get something uh, nourishment in them for five minutes but while they're bouncing between patients. And it's just not the nursing. It's the physician groups that we work with across, you know, the hospital, you know, the hospitalist, you know, the uh, residents. Everybody has come together as a united team in mm -hmm. our facility, and, I, I, and I'm sure it's all the facilities, and that's what I love to see. Yes, we're in a nursing shortage. I think we're in a physician shortage. Um, with COVID, everything's a shortage, and I think we've just kind of learned to, to deal with it and roll with it, and uh, unfortunately, we've learned to take a lot of stuff and just let it roll off mm -hmm. uh, and not take it to heart, and I don't know if the, the, the long-term uh, repercussions of that, but... Uh, I'm positive we're going to get out of this, you know, in a, about four or six weeks, hopefully, um, and we'll be in a better place. I think we all know and recognize that this current situation isn't sustainable for all of you or for the hospital system. Is there that constant fear of, okay, well, what happens after Thanksgiving this year? What does January look like? Or is it really just taking it one day at a time? Any of you can chime in. I. Uh for me, it's one day at a time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one weekend at a time, one week at a time. <laughs> People ask me what, about, you know, December or January, so let's just worry about getting through this week. Right. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, 
I think we'll get to a better place, but right now, you know, um, until things really start to change and the numbers go down. Yeah. Um, for me at least, and for, you know, our, our group, it's really just trying to get through the day and get through the week. Absolutely. So I agree with him, it's just trying to get through every day, but I, I do, part of my job, I'm also regional director for uh, the Cincinnati area, so I have to look at some of our staffing uh, issues. And, you know, seeing a lot of nurses who are leaving, uh, respiratory therapists that are leaving, there's just not enough people to go around. Um, and it, it, it does worry me where the healthcare systems are going, um, not just mine, but all of them. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of things in uh, healthcare that are broken, um, that are challenging, not just with COVID, they were broken before. Mm. Um, and uh, nothing like a little extra pressure to show where the cracks are. Um, so there needs to be some overhauls. How that's gonna happen, I don't know. Because um, the, the misinformation towards COVID has crossed over into the political sphere. Um, and I, you know, I never thought that what I did for a living was going to be involved with the nightly news. Mm. And when I'm watching press conferences about using bleach or uh, <laughs> that we have as many tests as you want and all that kind of stuff. And it's stuff I know that's not true yeah. uh, or statements that doctors are getting paid extra $2,000 for every COVID death, which is of course not true. Um, I filled out four uh, death certificates last week. I didn't get paid an extra for that, you know? Um, and I don't want to be paid extra <laughs> for that. I'd rather not have to fill them out. Um, you know, all these things need to change and it all kind of falls all over on itself and um, you know I, I prefer to toil away in anonymity um, I'm also not comfortable being called a hero um, I know a lot of my colleagues at the other hospitals have had to work a lot harder because they're on the edges of the city I'm in the middle so you know UC Christ good Sam they they got a lot more business than, than I get a Jewish but um, we still have had our share uh, so uh, I'm hopeful for the future. I think you know COVID's going to end, yeah. um, but there's a lot of stuff that has to be reckoned with when this is all over. Mm -hmm. so. Other than wiping the pandemic out altogether, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing, what would it be? Ooh. Um, <laughs> well, gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, there are too many to think of. Um, I mean, from a, with the nursing shortage thing, one thing that I've, I've talked to uh, some of my team about is that hospitals in general, and this doesn't matter where I've worked, uh, whether it was at UC or the VA, I never worked at Christ at TriHealth, but I know people who have, there always seems to be a, a, ha a habit on healthcare to try to staff things, um, to err on the side of maybe being slightly understaffed as opposed to being slightly overstaffed. Mm. Um, and I think it would be better if we slightly overstaffed things. Um, if you gave me another five minutes, I might think of something I thought was even more important. <laughs> but that, that, that's something I know that's been on well, my mind. Well, these folks had at least a, a minute and a half to think about it. His point is that yeah, right. the staffing is a critical issue. It is. It is. Uh, Last year, even when the numbers were higher, we had more staff. We're dealing with a surge with less people, and it's just critical. The most critical thing that you need to take care of people is people <laughs> and we don't have them and that, people are leaving and yeah. people are burnt out and they're tired and they're exhausted and it's critical mm -hmm. and I don't think people realize we're we're a critical mass when it comes to staffing yeah. and that's a, the bottom line that we just don't have enough people yeah. to do to right. take care of people yeah, yeah. Um, imagine 30% down yeah. right 
30, the I mean, current situation I mean, in the region? Just generalized, yeah. uh, generally speaking. Across the nation, it's yeah. about 30% shortage. It's, it, it, is, it is so critical and it, is, it makes everything so much more difficult um, and it changes the way we care for patients, it impacts patient outcomes, it affects everything. Yeah. But when we had to change our visitor policies, it, it not only impacted our visitors, but it impacted, impacted our students our uh, volunteers. So we didn't just lose like other, you know, people. We lost people that were volunteering and mm -hmm. providing care as they're learning. Um, and so in the spring last year, the students weren't allowed to come back. Most of them went virtual. Um, I was teaching at Xavier and I had to teach a clinical lab online. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how you do an AKG. Here's how you do an IV. Here's <laughs> yeah, I don't teach. Because uh, maybe when we get back to non-virtual, I'll go back. But uh, yeah, when you lose your volunteers and your student nurses that you have extra hands on the floor and teaching them, you know, building them up. Well, now they're graduated and a lot of them are struggling to pass boards because they didn't have the same opportunities that the rest of us had. Um, that's what I wish that we go back to normal to get out to get back to that setting where we can actually teach the next generation what we know hands-on and, and you know build up this workforce at a time when colleagues are leaving in droves for a number of reasons that we've talked about what do you tell that next generation that maybe wanted to be a nurse or knew they wanted to be a doctor and now they're wavering I think we have to continue to give them hope Absolutely. Uh, and recognize that as healthcare entities in our region and across the country and the world, really, that we will learn from what COVID unveiled, the cracks from the pressure that COVID unveiled, and be better. Mm. I think we will be better. Mm. I think we'll be stronger. How yeah, do, how better do we do and stronger. That, Suzanne? Huh? How do we do that? She hasn't worked all that out yet. <laughs> I think we'll be better. I do. I, do I really do. The current crisis will, is selecting for a different kind of healthcare worker. Yes. Yeah. And I think when you look at the people that right now are providing care in our region, it's just a remarkably resilient, dedicated group yep. of individuals. And they've been selected even though they didn't want to be selected. And I, I hope that as we look at the, the nurses and the physicians and the respiratory therapists and all those who are entering healthcare, that we have somewhat self-corrected and have attracted a new, um, a new group of people that are really dedicated to, to taking care of people no matter what it takes. And that's, I think we see that now with the group of individuals that we have and, I, and the hope is that um, their dedication and, uh, and resilience will be reflected and emulated in the generations to come. Absolutely. I wanna give you all an opportunity because I know we've talked about so many different topics, but Closing thoughts, if there's anything that uh, I didn't give you a chance to, to touch on that you wanted to, take a couple of seconds and think about it and we'll just uh, go one at a time. Dr. Murphy, we'll start with you. The COVID virus doesn't care about your personal liberties. It doesn't care about your religious beliefs. It will get you sick. Odds are you'll do okay if you get sick, but you might get somebody else sick who won't. Mm. It's kind of like driving drunk, not like driving a motorcycle without a helmet. The, the people you hurt aren't necessarily gonna be you. So. Please get vaccinated. Don't push this pain onto somebody else. Don't further tax our healthcare system. It's the responsible thing to do. Thank you. So what I have to say to most of the patients come in every day and be like, well, I got the body aches and fever and cough. I think I got the flu. Yeah, the flu's not going around right now. Um, it's COVID. And again, 
99% of the people in our ICUs are non-vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And if that number doesn't hit to, the, to your heart and soul that the vaccine does make a difference, then you know, feel free to reach out to your provider, reach out to you know anybody in the healthcare that will give you information about the vaccine so you can make an, uh, a properly informed decision. We are blessed to have this vaccine right now because last year we didn't have this tool. We were so lucky we got it in December and we started getting people on this fight because if we didn't have this vaccine, it would be so much worse. Mm -hmm. um, it would be like when it first started, death after death after death. We had nothing to combat it. So this is the tool that we need to get out there to the people. And again, if you're scared and you don't know, find a reliable healthcare worker and we'll get you the information so you can make an informed decision. What I want people to know is that we in healthcare are going to continue to give the care to these patients that we have given all along for years before COVID and beyond. We, that will not change. We will continue to care for every patient that enters that, the door and there'll be no bias, no judgment. My next message has nothing to do with that, that we, we need our society to step up, not just for themselves, but for society and do what we know works, which we didn't know before. Mm -hmm. Know that the masking, the social distancing, vaccination, and, and separate everything that you believe to be driving your desire to not get vaccinated and just hear us, mm -hmm. just hear what we're saying and act on it. Um, and never doubt that we're do, we're, we will continue to care for people the way we know how and the best way we know how. I would echo that and I would encourage people who um, don't want to get vaccinated or are hesitant to talk to somebody they trust. So um, you don't have to listen to me, you don't have to listen to them. Talk to your physician, talk to your provider, talk to somebody uh, in healthcare that you trust and talk to them about getting vaccinated. Um, and they'll tell you the reasons why you should get vaccinated and why it's safe and effective. Again, we want to thank Dr. Thomas Lemaire with Christ Hospital, Dr. Suzanne Bennett at UC Medical Center, RN Bill Hawk at Good Samaritan, and Dr. Daniel Murphy from Mercy Health. Also, thanks to Jatera McGee for sitting down with them. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening. Accuracy. It matters in everything you do. Your GPS needs to be accurate. Take a left on third. Your taxes need to be accurate. And your dentist needs to be accurate. You choose accuracy every day. And for an accurate forecast, choose WLWT Weather. It's the only forecast in Cincinnati independently certified most accurate. Nine years in a row and counting. Accuracy does matter. Choose accuracy. Choose WLWT Weather.